0: chapter seven of the complete works of artemus ward part two war by charles farrar brown this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven surrender of cornwallis it was customary in many of the inland towns in new england some thirty years ago to celebrate the anniversary of the surrender of Lord cornwallis by a sham representation of that important event in the history of the Revolutionary War. A town meeting would be called at which a company of men would be detailed as British and a company as Americans, two leading citizens being selected to represent Washington and Cornwallis in mimic surrender. The pleasant little town of W, in whose schools the writer has been repeatedly corrected, upon whose ponds he has often skated upon whose richest orchards he has with other juvenile bandits many times dashed in the silent midnight the town of w where it was popularly believed these bandits would come to a bad end resolved to celebrate the surrender rival towns had celebrated and w determined to eclipse them in the most signal manner It is my privilege to tell you how W succeeded in this determination. The great day came. It was ushered in by the roar of musketry, the ringing of the village church bell, the squeaking of fifes and the rattling of drums. People poured into the village from all over the county. Never had W experienced such a jam. Never had there been such an onslaught upon gingerbread carts. Never had New England rum, for this was before Neil Dow's day, flowed so freely, and W's fair daughters, who mounted the housetops to see the surrender, had never looked fairer. The old folks came too, and among them were several war-scarred heroes who had fought gallantly at Monmouth and Yorktown. These brave sons of seventy-six took no part in the demonstration, but an honored bench was set apart for their exclusive use on the piazza of Siles Smith's store. When they were dry, all they had to do was to sing out to Siles' boy Jerry, A little New England this way, if you please. It was brought forthwith. At precisely nine o'clock by the schoolmaster's new leaping watch, the American and British forces marched on to the village green and placed themselves in battle array, reminding the spectators of the time when Brave Wolf drew up his men in a style most pretty on the plains of Abraham before the city. The character of Washington had been assigned to Squire Wood, a well-to-do and influential farmer, while that of Cornwallis had been given to the village lawyer a kind-hearted but rather pompous person whose name was Caleb Jones. Squire Wood, the Washington of the occasion, had met with many unexpected difficulties in preparing his forces, and in his perplexity he had emptied not only his own canteen, but those of most of his aides. The consequence was, mortifying it must be to all true Americans, blushing as I do to tell it, Washington, at the commencement of the mimic struggle was most unqualifiedly drunk the sham fight commenced bang 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 from the americans bang 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 from the british the bangs were kept hotly up until the powder gave out and then came the order to charge hundreds of wooden bayonets flashed fiercely in the sunlight each soldier taken very good care not to hit anybody Last shouted washington who during the shooting had been racing his horse wildly up and down the line That's right git it to em cut their tharnal heads off on romans shrieked cornwallis who had once seen a theatrical performance and remembered the heroic appeals of the thespian belligerents on to the fray no sleep till morning! let out all their bowels yelled washington and down with taxation on tea The fighting now ceased, the opposing forces were properly arranged, and Cornwallis, dismounting, prepared to present his sword to Washington according to program. As he walked slowly toward the father of his country, he rehearsed the little speech he had committed for the occasion, while the illustrious being who was to hear it was making desperate efforts to keep in his saddle. Now he would wildly brandish his sword and narrowly escape cutting off his horse's ears, and then he would fall suddenly forward onto the steed's neck, grasping the mane as drowning men seize hold of straws. He was giving an inimitable representation of toodles on horseback. All idea of the magnitude of the occasion had left him, and when he saw Cornwallis approaching with slow and stately step and sword-hilt extended toward him, he inquired what in the devil you want how? general washington said cornwallis in dignified and impressive tones i render you my sword i need not inform you sir how deeply the speech was here suddenly cut short by washington who driving the spurs into his horse playfully attempted to ride over the commander of the british forces he was not permitted to do this For his aides, seeing his unfortunate condition, seized the horse by the bridle, straightened Washington up in his saddle, and requested Cornwallis to proceed with his remarks. General Washington, said Cornwallis, the British lion prostrates itself at the feet of the American eagle. eagle yelled the infuriated washington rolling off his horse and hitting cornwallis a frightful blow on the head with the flat of his sword do you call me a eagle you mean sneaking cuss he struck him again sending him to the ground and said i'll learn you to call me a eagle you infernal scoundrel cornwallis remained upon the ground only a moment Smartened from the blows he had received, he arose with an entirely unlooked-for recuperation on the part of the fallen, and in direct defiance of historical example, in spite of the men of both nations indeed, he whipped the immortal Washington until he roared for mercy. The Americans, at first mortified and indignant at the conduct of their chief, now began to sympathize with him, and resolved to whip their mock foes in earnest they rushed fiercely upon them but the british were really the stronger party and drove the americans back not content with this they charged madly upon them and drove them from the field from the village in fact there were many heads damaged eyes draped in mourning noses fractured and legs lamed it is a wonder that no one was killed outright washington was confined to his house for several weeks but he recovered at last. For a time there was a coolness between himself and Cornwallis, but they finally concluded to join the whole county in laughing about the surrender. They live now. Time, the artist, has thoroughly whitewashed their heads, but they are very jolly still. On town meetin' days the old squire always rides down to the village in the hind part of his venerable yellow wagon is always a bunch of hay ostensibly for the old white horse but really to hide a glass bottle from the vulgar gaze this bottle has on one side a likeness of lafayette and upon the other may be seen the goddess of liberty what the bottle contains inside i cannot positively say but it is true that squire wood and lawyer jones visit that bottle very frequently on town meetin' days and come back lookin' quite red in the face. When this redness in the face becomes of the blazing kind, as it generally does by the time the polls close, a short dialogue like this may be heard. We shall never play surrender again, Lawyer Jones. Them days is over, Squire Wood. End of chapter seven.